Welcome to It's a Fit Life Creation podcast with me, Katrina Julia. I'm a lifestyle entrepreneur and a transformation coach. Jumpstart transformation to time to transform, to boss brand, to money maker, to inspiring with influence and more. So let's create. And I lost over 55 pounds four years ago with the help of Herbalife Nutrition, Meal Bags, Team Edge, NASA, a certified public accountant. I've served in over eight industries, generating others over seven to nine figure results consistently while having my own money in chaos to create a life and a business I love. It's about the passion, the purpose, the people, and the profits to create a life and a business you love. Tune in to the stories and the journey as we create It's a Fit Life Creation. Adventures with Ordinary People with Jen of Coleman Concierge. She is the epitome of amazing adventures, multi-passionate, super adventurous background, as you will learn. She is an overcomer, you guys, with such a strong mindset, like very few people I have seen or heard. She was a prior skier who went from an injury to reinventing herself in the spa industry. She moved to Arizona, met her husband, Ed, also known as the mad scientist. He also travels with her around the world now, creating travel blogs and content and more. And they both believe in the transformative power of travel. Jen's passion believe Jen's passion rests in believing in not only the transformative power of travel, but the power of you, your travels, and amazing adventures around the world. Welcome, Jen. Thank you so much for having me. You're giving me fluffy feelings with all those kind words. I so appreciate it. <laughs> I love giving fluffy feelings because then fluffy feelings, what you put out, comes back to you. So I'm so glad you got all the fluffy. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, do you listen to, you probably do, to Tom Bilal's uh, the, the Impact Theory? No, but it sounds like I need to. You do, because I've listened to him and how he edifies and brings up people with his intros. And he featured one of my mentors, Garen Jones. And ever since then, I'm like, okay, I got to be on my game with these like intros. He's amazing. <laughs> so thank you for that. So what would you like to first share with the community, Jen? 
Oh boy, I don't even know where to start. Just thank you so much for having me. This is such a wonderful opportunity and, and I so appreciate it. And, you know, I, I hope through the course of our discussion that that we're able to to have people get to know me better and get to know our mission and, and our goal of where we're going with our website and hopefully maybe serve as a little bit of inspiration for someone that is either looking to adventure or might be struggling um, with something in their life and looking to move forward and reinvent themselves. I love that. And thank you for sharing that. And thank you for being willing. And I know we found you, correct me if I'm wrong, or you found us via BloggerBridge. Correct. So I always love to edify the sources because there's so many sources now, social media, platforms, influencer marketing. And Chris, who's the creator of BloggerBridge, is amazing. And I connected with him through TBEX and have used his tool one of over 10. So always get to meet incredible people just like you. So thank you for being here and being interested. So... Talk to us, Jen, about amazing adventures and obviously your life itself, like many of ours, has been an incredible story, has been an incredible journey and an incredible adventure. And, you know, there's so much. And I and one of the questions I always, so keep this in the back of your mind. Anytime we have a feature, I always like people to leave like and feel like they have bared their soul. Will do. Okay. I, will, I will do my best. Okay. I, I will get it unzipped and ready to go. <laughs> so with that in mind, how did your parents and your childhood or earlier early years influence you? Um, basically, um, I, I was raised in a, in a pretty wealthy family and I was taught from a really early age, first off, all about how to get along in society. Um, they made me go through cotillion which led into debutante and at the time I I really hated it but I do have to say that that the ability from a young child on learning how to get along in situations with people that were prestigious or distinguished or nice dinners that sort of thing has helped me out in spades moving forward with the different people that I've had to meet and interact with wearing all of the different hats as I have throughout the years. And they also instilled in me a very strong um, sense of, I would say perseverance, not giving up. They let me know that I'm never going to be the best. I'm probably never going to be the worst, but it's up to me to be the best I possibly can be. So I need to look towards that and work hard towards that and never, ever give up. I love both of those points. So one, I want to hit on the perseverance because I think a couple of things, obviously with your story, which we'll get into with, you know, reinventing yourself multiple times. I love how in your bio, you talk about that you are a chronic non-repeater. Yes. <laughs> that made me laugh. I was like, I could totally relate to that because there's so many things to love in this world and to try, right? Oh my gosh, yes. Too many. So I love the perseverance aspect that, you know, like you said, that was instilled in you to keep going to keep creating, to keep reinventing, no matter what, no matter what the circumstances in life can look like, 
And then also, like you said, the cotillion, which, you know, many of us, like myself included, I've never had that kind of experience. And so it's figuring out like how to be both, you know, someone that loves lifestyle and loves working out and et cetera, but to also how to be a lady, you know, so, and in those avenues, <laughs> and it's very different in, or not very different. It depends on the setting, depends on the person. But it depends on if the, you know, how you present yourself and then in what settings and having that intuition Mm -hmm. or that psychological kind of know-how and then kind of reading in between the lines, like how is this person while still being true to yourself? So just having that expression and that freedom. Absolutely. Absolutely. And you should have seen the devastation look on my mother's face the first time she uh, visited me after college and and I was working as um, at a ropes course and she comes up on the course and I'm tied up to a tree with a guy on belay with tree sap on me no makeup hair and a ponytail and she was just like wow this is not what I trained you to be I so love that. It reminds me, you just gave me a flashback. I was, my parents live in Bulgaria now and I was visiting them. Uh, I typically visit them at least once a year. And last year when I was visiting them, I handed the phone to my mom and I was like, Hey, do a boomerang. And I like started like twisting and turning and my dad's just shaking his head. He's like, Oh my God, you're exactly the same like when you were three or five years old. He's like, I don't even know why I tried to like do anything else with you. I'm like, I don't know because clearly you're, 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 you're trying. You were fighting the resistance of who I truly am. <laughs> yep. So that's kind of what I equate that to. Like your mom showing up at the rope scores and even now, 90% of the time, I run around in gym clothes. Like 90% of the time. I mean, don't get me wrong, I love to dress up, and I'm sure you do too, but, like, the fact that you were on a ropes course, belaying with a guy, like, that, and the fact that you focus on adventure, like, tells me. <laughs> yep, it's it's been something that, that I, I didn't do a lot of outdoorsy stuff growing up, with the exception of skiing. My parents, um, that was the one outdoorsy thing I grew up doing was skiing, and, and ironically, that was the one thing in this world that I actually could do athletically because the gods of athleticism hated my guts. They, they hated me. I was picked last for every team. I mean, like don't even get me started with anybody in near vicinity. If I had a Frisbee or a ball in my hand, because like, the person off to the side of me slightly behind would have gotten whacked. I'm I'm just awful at everything athletically. I I dropped running the mile for the first time in junior high, found out I had asthma, but for some weird reason I could ski. And and luckily I figured this out early at about four because otherwise I think I have a lot of obesity in my family and I think I'd probably be pushing 300 and morbidly obese and probably really depressed if I wouldn't have been able to find that one little something that my body could do and do well that I could glom onto and take me on that path of, of fitness and, and adventure. So to your point, you currently, you guys currently live in Orlando, but you've lived in, you've lived all over. So when you were skiing and doing whitewater rafting, Mm-hmm. as well as uh, the ropes course and facilitating the ropes courses, like you just mentioned, 
where were you during those like times? Oh boy. So <laughs> being a non-repeater, um, and at the time, right out of high school, not being able to afford a lot, um, I would basically move somewhere, live there for about two years, and then go and move somewhere else. So that way I could still be traveling. I was, I was kind of doing the solo female traveler thing before it was even a thing. But I was doing it more like I would live somewhere for two years and then move and go somewhere else for two years. So basically the chronology of it was um, I graduated from high school and got a year off, which I lived in Summit County, Colorado. In high school, right? That was the year after high school. Okay, okay. Where were you in high school? I went to high school in Denver, Colorado. Okay, I thought so. I thought you were also in Colorado, but you moved to a different place of Colorado. Okay. Yep, yep. So yeah, I went to high school in, in, in Denver, Colorado. And when I graduated, um, my mom said I could have one year off to go skiing. So I took the year and I lived in Summit County, Colorado and worked for, for Keystone. Then I went to college as an outdoor recreation major um, in Gunnison, Colorado and worked for Crested Butte. Then I took the next year and got to go to school remotely via Lake Tahoe, um, being an outdoor recreation leadership major. Um, so I did that for a year, came back to Crested Butte. At that point, um, finance was really tough. And since I was already working as a professional ski instructor and doing ropes courses and so forth in the summertime, I kind of felt like it was pointless at that point to continue on with college for a major that I was already doing professionally. So um, I ended up stopping college at that point and taught the year um, in Crested Butte. Then from there, I moved to, um, let's see, where did I go from there? Then I moved back to Summit County for a year at Copper Mountain. Mm -hmm. Then I went out to Washington State, where I was one year at Crystal Mountain and seven years at Stevens Pass Mountain. Wow. And when I was at Stevens, I also started um, doing ski patrol work, and I got my avalanche certifications. And this was all in preparation for what was supposed to be my career or what I had <laughs> planned on doing my career, which was being a helicopter skiing guide. So, you know, basically, you know, I was pretty well on my way toward attaining that career goal when I had um, torn ligaments in my knee. At that point, it was probably my fourth or fifth knee surgery. I was 26 years old. And the doctors that were in to fix my ligaments told me that, unfortunately, my cartilage was very severely degenerated, well past what I should have at my age. And they actually advised me at that point in time that I should quit skiing, get a desk job that I needed to get my knees replaced. And that was that. And for me, skiing being my greatest passion, it was tough enough to have to start saying goodbye to the possibility of becoming a helicopter skiing guide. But I made it my my mission basically to continue skiing longer than the doctors thought would be physically possible. Mm -hmm. So um, I had been also personal training off and on throughout the years. And I decided at that point to get serious, actually get my certification, dive headfirst into that. And a few years later, I also decided to dive headfirst into massage therapy. 
Um, right after Washington, I actually moved straight to Utah because at the time, Utah College of Massage Therapy had the best um, clinical massage okay. program out there. And I was able to also teach skiing for Alta Ski Resort. So moved out there, got certified for massage and worked at Alta. From there, I moved to Mount Bachelor, Oregon for a couple of years. Then from there, I moved to, where did I go from Mount Bachelor? Um, I went to Whitefish, Montana. And that was when my niece finally completely went. And that, But that was still 10 years past when the doctors mm-hmm. thought I could possibly be able to ski. So that was amazing. Mm -hmm. And then at that point in time, that's what led me to seek out employment somewhere hot and sunny and brought me to Tucson, Arizona. (laughs) Wow. So, so many things there to talk about. So you were skiing since you were four, right? So skiing basically was, it sounds like, like several times a week, like it was something you were doing that was part of your life all the time. Then you're giving lessons. Then at different points, you're giving also things like you said in college or different points with different employers with ropes courses. Then you decide at some point you're going to be a helicopter. You get avalanche training. Mm-hmm. You're also going to be a helicopter, but then your knees get shot, basically. So scar tissue, injuries, all kinds of different things happening. And you're 26 years old or years young at that point. And the doctors are basically pushing you to say, this is it, you're done. And like you said, it was hard enough to give up the dream of also being the helicopter rest. Was it helicopter? Was it called helicopter rescue? Um, no, it's a, it's a helicopter skiing guide. So okay. when people people can book a, book a, like a heli ski trip oh, in okay. usually Canada or Alaska, and I'd be the one that would be, you know, making sure that it's all safe for them and then guiding them down. Okay, perfect. So basically, instead of going up a ski lift, you're going up on the helicopter. Exactly. Got it. it. So, so giving up that, because I would imagine, obviously, you're going up to higher peaks, the impact on the knees, et cetera. So already knowing you're giving up that, then saying, okay, I'm willing to do that, but I refuse to accept your prognosis or your diagnosis that I'm done. So let me Mm -hmm. do personal training. Let me do other holistic care. Let me take even better care of my body. And I know I'm going to have to deal with this at some point, but let me give myself some more time with skiing. Mm -hmm. So you gave yourself an extra 10 years, which is huge because so many times people accept someone else's opinion, whether it's a doctor or not, you know, because it can be, this can happen in, you know, in finances and entrepreneurship and dreams and so many things. People Mm -hmm. accept someone else's opinion and you know as gospel and it reminds me have you seen the movie breakthrough no i have not oh my god i think you would love it it's such a powerful movie for what's possible and mindset it's a true story and it's produced by devon franklin it's based on a book it's chrissy metz is the main character it's about she's a mom she's an adoptive mom with her husband their adoptive son ends up breaking through the ice when him and his friends are playing over like a ice, you know, icy lake in the middle of winter in Missouri. He ends up being in the water for about 15 minutes before oh, he wow. gets CPR. Exactly. Long story short, because this is in the preview, this is in the book and all that. He ends up surviving through prayer, through belief, through all this stuff. And the doctors, of course, they're like, this is not scientifically possible. 
His brain has been deprived of oxygen. This, this, this. So even if he wakes up, this is going to happen. He ended up waking up, I want to say three to five days later, I can't remember exactly the time frame. completely healed, completely, as if he had never gone into the icy water. Wow, that's amazing. I think I recall now that that, that movie, it's the, the, the gal is the one that's from, um, ju- um, from the, um, the about us TV show. Um, oh my gosh. Um, I've never seen that. I never, I don't watch TV shows, but I know she, I think she was in hairspray. I think. Okay. She's, she's a little bit of a, of a, she's like a plus size girl. Very yes. beautiful. Yes. Yes. Yeah, I know what you're talking yes. about. Yes. So the movie is so powerful. So as you were talking, because I just saw it this weekend, because I love to watch movies for like personal development. It came to mind because my whole intention was behind belief that I believe no one gets to tell you what you will and won't believe, but you, but you. Mm -hmm. And so I commend you and acknowledge you for in that moment, like most people would have just said, okay, that's it. You were like, no, I'll give up this, but I'm not going to give up this. I'm going to fight for this because I want to continue to do it. Then you go to Utah, right? Mm -hmm. Utah, which I haven't been to yet. And that's definitely on the list. Then you decide to Arizona. So tell us, so obviously all these pivotal moments of impact are happening in your life and you keep rising up, you keep rising up. And then also you talked about, and I want to talk about this. You were like, let me stop going to college because I'm already getting paid what I would get paid regardless of the degree. And I don't really see the value or the return on getting the degree. Mm-hmm. And I think so many times, you know, especially back then, it was like, go to school, get a degree. You have to have a degree, this, that, and the other. And back then, like you said, you were already like a travel blogger, entrepreneur, all the, all the things. But back then, we didn't have social media. We didn't have influencer marketing. We didn't have all these ways to create and design our own media that we do today. But you already saw that. And you're like, okay, I'm not going to go to college. I'm going to go and move to these different places and have these different experiences. And then Utah. And then how did Arizona come about? So, um, so basically the way that that came about is, so, um, after Utah, um, I, then from there I ended up, I believe in, yeah, Oregon and then Montana. And when I was in Montana, that's when the knees finally just completely went. I was teaching still, but the, I had to drop down to part-time because the level of pain and dysfunction was really, really high. I basically had no cartilage left in my knees at all. Wow. Did you have surgery in Montana? What's that? Did you end up having surgery in Montana? No, no. What ended up happening was, um, so at that point in time, I knew that I actually had to to quit my job just after the first of the year, quit teaching because it just was not working. And at that point, I knew that I needed to get a really good corporate job, a good a job that I would be able to actually have benefits um, and health insurance and so forth. And, and those sort of jobs are very few and far between as a massage therapist. It's extremely hard to have to get them. So I knew that I would need to go to, to um, a four star resort. And I also knew I would have to go somewhere that was brand new, that was just getting built. Because in 
spa world, as I'm sure it is in many other businesses, there's a hierarchy. And if I were to come in somewhere already established, it would be extremely difficult to impossible to get through the hierarchy of the other people that had already been there and done their time. If they so something wasn't happening. Pardon me? If they weren't leaving or something wasn't happening with the company, et cetera. Exactly, exactly. So I just started basically stalking the websites of all the top resort spas. So Ritz-Carlton, Four Seasons, Fairmont, all those places. And I, I sure enough found out that Ritz-Carlton was going to be opening up a brand new resort with a spa in Tucson, Arizona. So that basically satisfied both of my needs. A, um, being being able to go somewhere with no pre-established hierarchy that was a big corporate entity. And I did hear that Ritz-Carlton was amazing to their employees. So they were a company I very much wanted to work for. And secondly, it would get me somewhere hot and sunny because I really needed to get skiing out of my reality because being somewhere where skiing was in my face all the time was so hard. I can't even tell you. I mean, I, I fell into probably the worst depression I've ever been in, in my life at that point. I mean, I, like they say in literature, they call it the dark night of the soul and, and boy, it, it it was completely black and starless. (laughs) I can imagine because for basically as long as you had ever known skiing in a sense was your, you know, who you were and your identity so to speak. So it was like a ripping apart. And Mm -hmm. I can definitely relate to a dark night of the soul, not related at all to skiing or health, but just in general. And I think many people can in different avenues, you know, whether it's something that they can no longer do, whether it's a relationship, whether it's love, whatever it is, uh, just figuring out who you are and then reinventing yourself. And then, like you said, knowing yourself, like, I also love that you were so self-aware that you knew, like, okay, I've got to get away from somewhere that's going to remind me of skiing. Oh, yes. Yep, absolutely. Absolutely. It was, it was, I mean, not only was skiing my favorite thing in the world to do, I mean, most people that worked at the ski mountain looked forward to summers and looked forward to the break and started skiing less when spring came around, but not me. I, I wanted to go year round. I mean, it, it was my identity. It was my greatest passion. It was my favorite thing to do. And it was my entire identity. I mean, every single username I had for anything was ski chick. You know, I mean, it was me and I had... I did have the spa thing and I was good at it, but really I, I, I had no idea who I was and it wasn't, I loved it and I was good at it, but it wasn't a passion like skiing was. And I, and I didn't know if I could ever find that or feel that ever again. And that's probably where a lot of that dark night I would imagine came from because you have this deep love of passion. You're doing so much of what you love all the time. And all of a sudden, you know, it's like, okay, you're 26, which you think you have your whole rest of your life to do this. I mean, we all see, and I could see because I mean, skiing as a whole, like you're in nature, the beauty of the surroundings, the quietness, the stillness, the athleticism, like all of it. 
And then all of a sudden you're 26 and they're like, no, you're not going to be able to do this. And you still pulled it off for another 10 years. But then it's like, mm-hmm. okay, now I'm being faced with it. Now it's like, okay, my body is literally deteriorating on me. My, like you said, your cartilage and the pain that you were suffering. And then having to, at that point, make serious, even more adjustments and massive transitions. And it's like, I would take it as literally like, it's, I would almost like totally unrelated, but related when I left corporate and I started to walk through the transformation of, you know, fear to faith, self-hate to love, corporate to calling, bondage to freedom, like all these things, I started realizing all these external things are all these things that I had attached to my identity to. And mm-hmm. it's literally like a peeling away of layer after layer of stuff after stuff that you don't even realize you allowed yourself to get like in or immersed in. And at the time, if it's pure joy, it's pure joy. Or if you just don't know any better, like some people, you know, you might not know any better, but when you face it, it's not easy. It's very painful. It is. Like realizing where your identity truly lies, you know, whether, you know, for you, that's the creator, whether that's the universe, whether it's you, you know, whoever is listening or whatever you believe, but it's figuring out like what you're aligning your identity to. And if it's internal or external, Mm -hmm. yeah, it's very painful. Like the stripping away of our ego, so to speak. Yep. Absolutely. So true. And then I'd imagine as you were walking through that, even as you're looking, you're applying, you found Ritz-Carlton, right? I did. What about also the fears and your mindset as you're like, so you keep going forward, you keep going forward, you keep pushing forward, but like what were, you know, like you mentioned the dark night of the soul, what are some other things that are going through your mind and your fears? Oh boy. Well, the whole thing was actually just so scary. I mean, I was living in my dream place too, literally right up on the mountain. I had a downstairs caretaker apartment in a multi-million dollar log house. I would literally walk out my stairs, flip on my skis and ski down to the lift. I could just, I mean, I could look at the lift line from my front windows, gorgeous place. And I mean, Whitefish, Montana in and of itself is still one of my favorite places in this world. You know, being a chronic non-repeater and having lived and been a lot of places, that is the one place that, that I want to go back to and would love to live in again. And, and that's a whole other story because we're, we're looking at that um, here, here comes September. But in the meantime, you know, when I made the decision to move to Arizona, I'd never seen Tucson. And they just said that they were opening up in late fall. So I moved out there. And at the time that I moved, um, there had been a bit of a falling out of the economy. I can't remember exactly what year, but I was also running my, I was not only working for one of the top day spas in town I also was running my own business doing out call massage and personal training and at the time my client base had fallen off severely um, due to the economy Um, people that were getting massages um, you know every two weeks to a month um, spread that out even farther my personal training clients that I was seeing three times a week had cut back to once a week um, the day spa I was working at was actually shutting their doors in town oh, wow. so there were other things happening where my finances were also dropping off so when I moved to Tucson to put myself in place for this position I literally moved with only a thousand dollars in available credit 
left on all of my credit cards and no cash reserves whatsoever. And I had to use that $1,000 for downs and deposits on my place. And as it turned out, Ritz still wasn't opening, still wasn't opening, still wasn't opening. And what they considered to be, I moved out there in early October and what they considered to be a late fall ended up being December 20th. And I did not find out I had the position until I didn't even interview, I believe, until early to mid-November. So when I found out I had the job, I literally was down to my last $100 of available credit. It was terrifying. I had no idea what was going to happen. I was, you know, trust getting started working at temp agencies in the meantime and anything I could to keep myself afloat to get it started. And, and when I was hired, they were hiring one part-time position and everyone else was on call. No full-timers, no leads. I luckily landed the part-time position, but that was it. And that's how it started. So, wow. So a couple of things there that I <laughs> want to hone in on for the entrepreneurs, for the side hustlers, for the travelers, and also acknowledging you, Jen. You're on your own at that point. You've taken mm -hmm. this massive leap of faith going all in. And I can definitely relate. You are living on debt. I was just talking about that yep. in my last episode. That people think like, you know, when you're free and you have all these finances, that it's like this whole like easy road. No, the mindset from the old you to the new you is a whole crazy road. Like everyone has mm -hmm. a story. You take a leap of faith, you've got a thousand in credit, no liquid cash. So no quote unquote safety net, no prior. Oh, I'm going to save all this money. No health insurance yet. Your knees are like dying literally for, you know, replacement. You, um, you know, they tell you fall. So most people in the fall would think October, November, December, October at least. Right. Cause that's September, yeah. October. December is like right before Christmas, like most people are not opening up, but I'd imagine they had construction issues, permit issues, whatever, right? Um, you don't have back then social media influencer, those streams, online courses, those streams of income. Like you said, you're getting basically afraid. It can definitely relate. Um, you are down to your last hundred bucks. And like you said, they were all on call positions, only one part-time. You still kept going, perseverance, resilience. And I can imagine there's days where you're like, you know, whether it's prayer, whether it's meditation, like you're doing all you can to hold it together. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> and to still show up as happy, as joyful, not like walking in anywhere that you're about to break down because no one's going to hire you. Like, I mean, the people say it all the time. It's true. Walk around like you need money. Well, you're going to keep needing money. Yep. And if you walk around disgruntled or resentful, well, you're going to attract more of that. So you're on the last breath, basically. Then Ritz Carlton finally calls. Did they call or open on the 20th? Nope, they um they opened on the 20th and I got the interview, I believe it was around early to mid-November. Okay, okay. So you had the interview already. They opened and you got the part-time position at that point. 
Yeah, they actually let me know pre-opening. So um, I was part of the opening team, which was really huge to be able to, I mean, when I walked into the spa the first time, like every single room was completely empty. Everything was in boxes everywhere. And I was part of the team, like putting together the rooms and making sure that everything was aesthetically pleasing and purchasing, you know, helping my spa director to figure out the other things we needed to purchase and what the best layout of each room would be that would work for the therapists and estheticians. And, and it, it was, it was a lot. I mean, I, at the time that, that, that the Ritz opened, I had successfully weaned myself off of coffee. I was only drinking yerba mate, and I was so proud of myself. And then the pre-opening, we were working from 6 a.m. until sometimes 8 or 9 p.m. And needless to say, I I found my coffee habit again. (laughs) And also, and I remember, like, a couple things on that. The ability to have experience on something brand new, whether it's a spa, whether it's a company, whatever it is, it's such a priceless experience. People don't realize that. So maybe mm-hmm. kudos to positioning yourself, to going after the role, to doing the homework and the initiative in advance. Then I remember at our last call, you talked about how they only had the part-time, they didn't have full-time, they didn't have, they only had on-call. But you walked in with the mindset of you were already going to operate and do the role as if you had full time. So whether it's walking in with an employer from part time to full time or walking in as an entrepreneur that you're going to create this income and create these opportunities, like talk to us about first with Ritz Carlton and then we'll get into it with your company. Well, it was just that. I mean, I knew that I that I needed to get that full time lead position. And um, the last day spy was at in Whitefish, I also um, had been able to get a position in a similar manner where I had seen holes um, where they needed assistance with different things. And I just stepped up and started doing the work. And then my boss was basically forced to give me the position because I was doing the work that the position entailed. And that's basically what happened at the Ritz as well. I just took it upon myself to, you know, look at what needed to be done to volunteer, to do those things, to come in early, just to do everything that needed to be done and, you know, didn't really think about the extra hours or anything else. And, and except for on the fact, of course, that I was really needing the extra hours. So that was an extra motivation to just be stepping in there and doing everything I possibly could. And being not from Tucson, I had no friends anyways. I had no social life. I had nothing. So, you know, it was sink or swim for me. So I just dove in head first into the deep end. (laughs) So many things with that, that I love that you put yourself out there. You didn't ask, like you, you knew at that point, like they're like, okay, there's no role, but you refused to listen once again to what the external world is telling you. You're like, whether it's this position or another position that's going to find me, I'm going to do the work here and either they're going to reward me or I'm going to find something else, but I'm going to go all in and I'm going to put myself out there and create value. I'm going to take initiative and I'm going to execute. And I think so many times, whether people work for companies, they wait for people to promote them. And I'm like, no, they're looking to see who's already a leader well in advance of them promoting you. 
Yep. When I was in corporate, I always, like, I never stayed in a role more than a year to a year and a half because I always walked in with the mindset of entrepreneur. I'm going to own this role. I'm going to create 10 times to 20 times more value than this role. I always Mm -hmm. got approached for promotions. And when I became an entrepreneur, it's the same thing. It's like I may not see the rewards for this specific thing right now, but you know what? I'm going to keep going because I know it's going to lead to something or someone or an opportunity or a company or all the above. It's only a matter of time. And it could be today. It could be tomorrow. It could be next week. And it's having that mindset that you still, like what you said, your parents said to you. And my parents were definitely the same, like show up as the best you can be and show up as the role or the income or the financial freedom or the time and location freedom that you want today. Mm-hmm, absolutely. Not tomorrow, not next week, not next month, not when you get a three, you know, 3,000, 10,000 per month for social media or a multi-year agreement. Like, don't wait for that. Show people that you're already capable of it all. Absolutely, absolutely. It's like fake it till you make it, but you're not faking it. You're showing up with your genuine self. You know what I say? Faith it till you make it because you're literally acting in faith already as if you have it, even if you don't. Yep. Like you are already setting up the studio, setting up this, setting that. So it's almost like if you're, you know, the manager didn't give you the full-time position, it would have been like cuckoo banana. Like why would you go try to hire someone when she's already doing it and she's doing a great job? That that was my theory. And and thankfully it worked out. (laughs) So what happened first? Did you have the surgery or did you meet your husband, Ed, first? Like what happened first? So it kind of turned out weird. Um, I had planned on, um, I was, um, once I, once I had the rules and so forth, um, in Tucson, Arizona, business falls off quite a bit in the summertime, as you can imagine, you know, not a lot of people want to come travel to Tucson when the daytime highs are well over a hundred degrees. So, so that's kind of the, the time in the spa where we can, you know, take extended time off and so forth. Things really slow down. So I had planned on taking my three months that I had allocated off for, um, FMLA and and short-term disability and so forth. And my surgeon, um, did not want to replace both knees at once. He wanted to do them a month apart because um, he felt like if I had one knee that was a little bit more solid, it would make the recovery on both better, which I can agree with having gone through it now. But so I had had the one, the one knee done and um, on the way to the hospital a month later to get my other knee done, um, my mom had come to stay with me and help me out during this time. Um, we were involved in a, really, really severe car accident that actually ended up totaling my mom's car, gave her um, a nut, like a knee injury that her knee had to get replaced and a low back injury. I had a massive back injury and the airbag deployed up the inside of my leg that I was supposed to have replaced. I had my leg up on the dash because I was doing a meditation CD because I'm terrified of needles, believe it or not. So I was doing a meditation CD because of my, to try to help me with the IV, with the needle thing. And basically this car, their tire popped, they lost control, came straight across the highway, right into the right lane where we were. Luckily my mom 
saw the car and pumped her brakes, but she, we were in a Durango and this was a big steel suburban and we T-boned the suburban. It landed on its roof. Thankfully everyone was okay. My mom and I had the worst injuries, but, um, that ended up doing so much damage to the leg I was supposed to have replaced by the time it healed enough to be able to have the surgery. My FMLA had run out. Wow. And at that point, I didn't have the option to have the, the other knee replaced until a year and a half later, till the, the, until basically not the following summer, but the summer after that. Wow. So, so yeah, so the, the knee replacements ended up a little more staggered than we expected. And so at the time, once I had recovered from my knee surgery, since the only place I ever was was work in the gym, I decided that I would make a point to to start online dating again. I'd been doing it off and on through all my moves, and, and I had made a goal that once I had kind of lost some of the yuckiness and weight from the knee surgery, I would get back on that dating horse and start doing some online dating. And so my husband was probably my fourth or fifth online date that I did after coming back from my first knee replacement before my second. Oh, wow. I didn't realize that you met him through online dating. I thought you guys randomly met. I know we talked about it some last time, but not to that level of detail. So, wow. So you, like all this stuff happens, like your mom comes down to help you. Then on top of everything else that you're walking through, you end up literally being slammed with a car accident, including your mom. Like you said, yep. you guys had the worst of it. Thankfully, nobody else from the other car was hurt. So that all of that's a miracle in itself from what you just described from the freeway and the tire busting. Then, yes, it was terrifying. <laughs> then you make a decision that you're like, okay, I'm ready for love, basically. <laughs> And then use what you wanted to use, and then you meet your husband. Yep, yep. And it, it was so, it's so ironic, too. You know, they say that people come into your life at a time when you're ready. Ironically, back when I used to live in Washington State, um, I used to work at REI in Linwood Mall. And at that time, he was married to his first wife. He had um, his first child, he hadn't had a second yet. And he was actually working at the same mall at Future Shop, just a few doors down. And he used to love to come in and shop at REI. And so there's a pretty good chance that we met back then and didn't not even know each other to be like who we do now. But, you know, so it's funny how our lives have sort of interlapped and interlapped again. And when I met him online, he literally lived two miles down the road from me, and he was dating another girl in my apartment building. In so, Colorado? yeah. In Colorado? No, no, in Tucson. Okay, okay, wow. So the REI store connection, which was in what state? That was when I lived in Washington okay. State. So that was in Washington State. Then he like was dating someone down the like in the same building. And then you make the decision that you're like, okay, I'm gonna go online and then you actually meet. Yep. Yep. Wow. So yeah, it's it's just so funny. It's kind of like we were meant to be, but we had to wait till we'd both gone through our stuff and matured enough to be ready for one another. No, absolutely. And your timing. So you guys met in Tucson. And he works as a scientist, but he also travels with you with your some of your trips 
and different things as well. Yeah, he's a, he's basically, um, he works in aeronautics. He's, he's a physicist. Um, he's a physicist engineer. And so the physicists are sort of like the, the nutty professors of the engineering world, if you will. So, but you know, he's basically a rocket scientist. So <laughs> there's a lot of jokes that, that go on with that, especially when he messes something up. And I'm just like, dude, really, does it take a rocket scientist? <laughs> <laughs> well, it's so funny because I could imagine like, you're Miss Free Spirit, right? And then I could see where he's also like rocket scientist, but also like I'm just looking at some of his info, also loves adventure, stable yep. dad, but also has a deep-seated need for um, travel and wants to travel. So I could Absolutely. see how you guys mesh really, really, really well together. So how quickly, like I'm just curious about your courtship also. Um, how quickly did you guys get married? Oh man, so our courtship's actually pretty hilarious because <laughs> my 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 sister in law was always telling me that I needed to go nerd, but I always loved like the super charismatic adrenaline junkie adventure boys. I went your sister, and I could see why because you're very free spirit. But go ahead. Yeah, so that was my breed. And, you know, my, my mom at the time was like, you know, you're, you know, you're, you're almost 40 and you need to just like, give up on these like, hot built athletic guys and you need to like find someone more stable and you need to compromise. And I was, I wasn't really feeling the compromising thing, <laughs> but I definitely knew I needed to change breeds. And so when I saw him online, he was relatively attractive, but his clothing were was so uber nerdy. It was just atrocious. But ironically, I really liked what he had to say in his profile. Um, you know, the, the two things that really stand out to this day were um, one of my big things is I feel like my time is my most valuable commodity. And if you mess me around for my time, like you were done in my life. And one of the things he had said is that, you know, I believe your time is valuable and I will be where I say I'm going to be. And I will call you when I say I will call you. And the fact that he took the time to put that in his profile, I loved. And then I also thought his catchphrase was hilarious that he's the most adventurous nerd that I would ever meet. That that was his catchphrase. And so he sent me this wink and I looked at him and I thought, God, this guy is such a dork, but I really liked what he had to say. So I just wrote him a super snarky comment back. And I was like, Oh, you're the most adventurous nerd I'll ever meet. You're quietly confident. Aren't you? <laughs> so, so that's what I wrote him back and he ended up initiating conversation and, and asked me out and, we went to the to and he took me to um, to a bookstore and we had coffee and we were talking and he was talking on and on about the science fiction book that he was writing, which I was finding really boring and I was trying to cover my mouth as I yawned and not let him see my eyes watering and I was kind of dying. But he was relatively attractive and a nice enough guy and I had made a packed with myself that I would do everything that I normally would say no to. And so I decided, you know, and he had all the moves too, which I could not figure out how this nerdy guy had like this mad game. Cause he had mad game. He had like all the little touches and he even like 
asked me out for the next date on that date and gave me like a hug and a kiss on the cheek right by my mouth. And he had all the moves, like he had it down. So <laughs> he had the science, the rocket scientist had the science down. He did. And it turned out he'd actually been studying like how to like pick up women and stuff, which is a whole other story. And that's why he had all the moves, but he definitely had all the moves. And, so cute, you know, funny. I just, I just was not sure about him for the longest time. I mean, our fourth date, luckily he brought some wine and it was this beautiful hike and picnic. And so the travel, we were, so the travel we were, started to be stimulated. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And we did this hike and, you know, had wine and he had, you know, tea lights and we could melt chocolate in for strawberries. Like he had everything. And he was like putting on all his moves, telling me how sexy I was. And I started laughing hysterically. And he's like, what's so funny? And I was like, dude, I don't even know if I like you. And I'm like, I'm not even trying. And he's like, what, you don't think you're sexy? And I'm like, I know I'm sexy, but I'm not even trying. So I don't even know if I like you. And you're putting <laughs> all this effort forth and I don't even know if I'm in. <laughs> Completely. And he was like, oh, yeah, you're on the fence. And I'm like, yeah, I'm seriously on the fence. And he's like, I'll shove you off of that fence. Just you wait. <laughs> I love his persistence. And probably part of it is you were laughing because you're looking at this dude and you're like, really, you? And like you said, he's trying so hard. And then he's so different than anyone <laughs> else you've ever dated. I can totally relate to that. It's like when you have like this idea or not even that like when you get really clear on like what you want and what you don't want and the kind of like what you're worth that you know really quickly if someone aligns or they don't and then of course mm -hmm. the attraction and the chemistry still has to be there yep so and then to your point like I'm single currently but I'm also very clear on what I want and what I don't want and it's way more the character but of course it goes to the pursuit. Of course it goes to the romance. Of course it goes to the travel. Because I'm like, I already knew years ago. Like, I, like I'm sure you knew. Like, you couldn't necessarily have someone, like, if he would have been only corporate driven, but didn't want to travel, that didn't understand your love of travel, and didn't give you the freedom to pursue your own dreams, like, you already know that would have never have worked. Absolutely. Absolutely. And he just, you know, he really envied the life that I led, you know, doing adventure travel for all those years. I mean, he was, you know, an Ohio farm boy and he was, you know, brought up very, you know, to, you know, to stick by your family, work hard, very straight and narrow. And, you know, so, I mean, he got his wife pregnant when they were in college and he just went full on that route. But on the back end, he, you know, really, I mean, loved, loves the outdoors. When he moved to Tucson, he got really into hiking and biking and caving. And he became an expedition caver and did so some, cool. and so on his work um, vacations, like when the plant would shut down, which is usually around a month over Christmas, he would go and do these amazing trips. Like he mapped a couple miles of Virgin Passage in Belize in this huge cave. The National Geographic did the special on. He was like the team that came in right after National Geographic. And so, you know, he's got a lot of that in him, but I would have never guessed from his nerdy exterior <laughs> and his you know, white New Balance shoes, which we have since gotten rid of never to be seen again <laughs> <laughs> so tell us 
Jen, what? Finally. So for maybe the woman that's listening or, <laughs> or for the man that's listening, like, you know, he's listening like, dude, this guy did all this research. He figured out how to scientifically and also actionably woo women do the romance bit, all this, but you're still on the fence because you're like, I don't know. Like, I don't know if it's, this is the guy, right? So, <laughs> totally. Like, so, and A, this is also like showing how much initiative he took that he like literally took, you know, dating on as a project, right? And cared. Yeah. No different than you would take initiative on with like work or something else, right? So what, like, what finally did it for you? And like, how or like, why did you finally get one over? You know, I think it was just time and allowing myself to be open to the fact that it might not be the exact package that I was expecting, but yet it has all the components that I was looking for and even some that I didn't know I was looking for, if that makes sense. You know, it was just really being open to the person that he is and... You know, and luckily some of those other things were little, you know, I mean, he was more than happy to get rid of his terrible old wardrobe and go to the store. And, you know, he even said when, when we, after our first shopping trip, he's like, you're dressing me like exactly the kind of guy that I wanted to always be dressed like, but I didn't know how to do it. <laughs> well, it's like one of those, right? Where you mutually, like you said, you don't always know. Like when I, even when I wrote down the list several years ago and things started showing up, it becomes more of what you need, like for character refinement, growth, like all kinds of different things, right? And then like you said, he always wanted that. He told you like to dress better, but he didn't know how to do it. And so here you come and then you're like, okay, this is like, no, 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 you've got to move this, get rid of these <laughs> new balance shoes and like, let me help you out. So it goes back to like, I think that's when relationships work the best when you honor each other's dreams and you mutually contribute and or participate you know, whatever that looks like for you, like partners and purpose, but then also that you mutually make each other better. Absolutely. Absolutely. 100%. And, and I think kind of like, you know, we kind of credit our big relationship transformation trip to, um, we, we, um, he had gotten a permit for Havasu Falls, which is down in the Grand Canyon. If you're yes, familiar. Yes. I've been to Grand Canyon and Havasu Falls is so beautiful, but keep going. Oh my gosh, it's amazing. So he had gotten a permit for it. And at the time I had one knee that was replaced and one knee that needed to be replaced. And, you know, me being the hardcore girl that I am, even though I had one replaced knee and one that needed to be replaced, I refused to do anything but pack my own 30 pound backpack up and down the canyon. And that was something that, that he really loved, that I was that hardcore. He'd taken a few prior girlfriends on the same hike, one of which actually threw herself down on the trail crying and screaming because she couldn't go any farther and had to have the mule train pick her up. Wow. Which is a whole other story. But wow. <laughs> so I'm sure you cracked up hearing that. He, he definitely had a few other girlfriends that he tried to take on these adventures and they could never hang. And then, you know, we went on this adventure and I was, you know, basically by all rights, partially crippled, but, you know, still managed to, you know, get down there myself. It was super slow going down. It's hard to go down with bad knees. I, I had poles, but it was really slow and painful. We had a couple of days down there and then, um, hiked back up and out. And as it turned out, the hike back up and out, we beat our time going down by two hours. Wow. Wow. Yeah, the fact that you were, the fact that like you said, you were open 
And then you let kind of step by step in time work its course. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, and just, he just loved being able to do that with me and that I had such a great attitude, even given my physical constraints and never cried, threw myself down on the trail, made drama, just really enjoyed the experience. He was like, wow, you know, this girl can really be my partner where for me, you know, a lot of the adventure boys would have been, you know, frustrated or, you know, wanting to go faster, you know, and I've had all sorts of experiences in that way. And he was perfectly happy to just be super chill and go with me at my speed and enjoy the experience. It reminds me also, you might really like if you haven't seen the documentary yet, it's called push. Have you heard of it? No, I haven't. So you might totally relate to him. I forgot his name. I'm Googling it right now. So it's about somebody that was a super like adventure. He did snowball snowmobiling, he did skiing. He did all these different things. Basically, on one of his adventures, he ends up going on a snowmobile and he overshoots the landing. Ooh. And he ends up, it's called Push. It's on Netflix. Um, what's his name? Oh, it's going to drive me crazy now. Push, it's a true story. Let me put snowmobile. He ends up overshooting it. He breaks his back. Actually, he breaks a back vertebrae, which then pushes into his spine, which then renders him uh, paralyzed. And he ends up like pushing basically step by step. He ends up pushing through his injury. He ends up getting a vision to go to the South Pole on a seated ski. Wow. And exactly what you're, he ends up doing it. He ends up doing it with a team of two, but exactly what you're saying in some of the practice runs and the movie's really good. It's on Netflix. It's called push. I will definitely check that out. I figured you would because it sounds like something totally up your alley. And it just talks about mindset, like so much of it. Cause in he, one of the adventurers, the, like one of the guides, he ends up being frustrated or trying to push one of the other guys too, too much. Um, and the other guy ends up not be a, not either being able to do it or he has to delay it or something because mm -hmm. of, you know, literally because of he, the other guy was trying to push himself even more for this guy. Um, Grant Corgan, it's the push documentary, a, a film about overcoming adversity with love. And his wife is so supportive. Oh my God. And his name is Grant Corgan. Oh, that's awesome. I will definitely yeah. check that out. K.O. And he skis like, I think, 100 miles to the South Pole on a seated ski. Crazy. Wow. So that just that's tells you the power of mindset. Like broken back, all of it. All of it. Has to check with like a sensor to make sure his fingers and his toes aren't getting frostbite. Because, of course, he can't feel it. Wow. Every day. So crazy, crazy. So I definitely acknowledge you for that. How long was it before you guys got married? Was it a couple years? No, actually, it turned out to be pretty fast. Um, so we we were probably about two, three months into our courtship when his lease ran out on his house. And and he very much wanted to move in with me. But given that, that, that he's not the cleanest of people and I'm very OCD clean, I told him that that probably was not going to work. And it was going to be over before it was started. And and he insisted that he was very trainable and that I give him a month 
to, to, to train. And if after the month of training that I felt like he couldn't live in my house, then he would find somewhere else to live. So needless to say, he moved in and, and he was pretty trainable. I'd give him about a, I'd say about a 9.25 on trainability. <laughs> and so, you know, we, we, we ended up living together at that point and, and, and he was right then and there, like, you know, at, when I met him, he said he didn't believe in monogamy, but by that point he was breaking up with all of his other girlfriends and he did have quite a few. Wow. And, um, so the rocket scientist was like running different case studies. Oh yeah. Big time. He, he was like probably like the sluttiest rocket scientist. <laughs> you ever knew. Well, I and I'm looking at this, I was like, was he doing case studies or like experiments? <laughs> experiments? Yeah, basically. I mean, he, he had a, I mean, but that says a lot about a guy. The fact that a guy can have that many girlfriends and they keep calling him for booty calls, I think says a lot. Wow. You know? Wow. <laughs> <laughs> So, so yeah, so, you know, and at that point I was like, you know, okay, you know, so he wants to be monogamous and he was like, you know, I'm going to marry you. And I was like, wait a minute. I thought you didn't even believe in monogamy. Wow. And he was like, I didn't till I met you. And, you know, I told him basically that when we got married, I wanted to be cute and I needed to have my other knee replaced. So it would either have to be right before I had my knee replaced or it would have to be probably about a year post-replacement. And wow. at that time, we were also talking about um, one of the things I always wanted to do was check out beach lifestyle because I'd always been so busy skiing. I had never done the beach thing, and I always had been curious about it. So, you know, as we were talking and figuring things out, we realized that if we were going to do beach lifestyle, San Diego would probably be our best bet. He was actually working on a project with the team from San Diego. But if we were to move there, then I would have to give up my position at the Ritz because the nearest Ritz was Laguna Niguel, which was just way too far to be mm -hmm. commuting. Mm -hmm. So at that point, you know, he was like, well, you know, let's just get married because I want you to be able to make this move and give up your position and feel confident that you're going to be well taken care of. Wow. Um, so so I, I said, okay, let's do it. So basically we got married. A year and a week from the first day we met, wow! we came back from the honeymoon and literally the honeymoon was over because the next day after returning from the honeymoon, I went in to get my second knee replaced. Wow. And I figured the timing was on, right aligned. So yeah, I went on my FMLA, came back, stayed at the Ritz for an additional year, and then we transitioned out to San Diego from there. Wow. Wow. So... You meet him within a year, you're married, you get your second knee surgery. So when did Coleman's concierge start to come about? Because I obviously connected with you with Blogger Bridge, Coleman's, like where it is today, but when and how did that start to come about? And then what happened in San Diego? And then how did you move to Orlando? Like, I know that's a lot, but I know there's a lot going <laughs> on all at that time. So basically what happened was once we had relocated to San Diego, you know, we were both looking at figuring out a way that we could kind of transition into our life phase 2.0 together, if you will. You know, he really 
wanted to get out of the cubicle. He'd been in it for 17, 18 years. You know, the, his kids were getting to the age where, you know, they were out of the house completely. They one his oldest was in college and his youngest was getting ready to go to college. And we were trying to figure out, you know, what, and that was also too part of the San Diego move was that his youngest really wanted to go to a California state school. So we moved there as well to put ourselves in place so that she could get um, residency in California. So, you know, we were entertaining a bunch of ideas with my background in hospitality and massage and fitness. I could basically go anywhere in the world and get a job at a resort. But, you know, his job was a little more challenging to figure out how he could transition. So when we moved to San Diego, we were just, you know, playing all kinds of different scenarios. The one that was winning at that time was um, he would become a dive master. And that's actually what got us started scuba diving. Oh, we would yeah, tell me dive that last our- time. Because I'm also, so, I'm also, I was like, you didn't tell me that last time. I'm also an advanced scuba diver. And like, I love water. And I could totally see that with his diet, with his adventure background too. Wow. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. When we got married, we got married in Nassau, Bahamas. And we, we did it at Sandals in Nassau as sort of a try it before you buy it beach lifestyle slash, you know, intro to diving. That was a big part of why we chose it was that we could, you know, do a discover scuba program and see if, if it would even work. And I wasn't sure because, I mean, I myself, even though I was a whitewater guide, I did that because I drowned as a little kid. I'm a terrible swimmer. I'm fearful of water. Wow. And I'm definitely afraid of fish, actually. Wow. Because wow. so I know actually- you did the whitewater, and I didn't know what the story was with that. Of course, like, I love adventure. I had a near-death experience with in class four whitewater rafting. That's a whole other story where the guide let us out of the water in class two. He was supposed to pick all of us up before we hit class three. Somehow I got left fish out of water. (laughs) I ended up going down. I ended up going down a class four. uh, We were already in class four rapids and I ended up going down a waterfall. And I just felt in my spirit, like everything's going to be okay. Everything's going to be okay. This is in 2010, but you can imagine. And, And when I came down, my friend Angela was freaking like she's like I kept asking him is she gonna be okay is she gonna be okay and she's like he wouldn't answer her, and then his face was all white. He's like I've oh. been doing this for thirteen years. He's like what just happened to you has never happened, and he's like I've never lost anyone in the water where we didn't pick them up. And so you can imagine as a guide what he was feeling. And oh my god! Freaking yeah. out. And then he said, statistically, you should not be okay. Like he's like. Everything that just happened and what you just swam through, the fact that you're okay right now, you don't have a scratch on your body, is a miracle. Like, he was, like, blown away. So, the fact, I know, crazy. I have so many near-death experiences. But the fact that you are scared of water and you were also doing white water and then you're, like, contemplating scuba at that point, which I love the water. I love, so the way you love skiing, I love being in the ocean. And I got certified in scuba when I was actually my first year in college because we were going to Cozumel. But then, because I'm like, I want to go and I want to get certified. But then every, I only dive, or not only, I dive once a year. So, you know, more or less. So every time I go, I make it a point 
to always do the Discover Scuba because I'm not stupid. I'm like, I dive once a year. I know my skills are rusty. It would be stupid for me to go straight into the ocean. Like, let me do Discover whether it's in the pool or in the ocean just to like re-humble myself and be clear that I'm about to go in a big ass ocean. So it's awesome that you guys decided to do your honeymoon in the Bahamas, do the Discover because scuba, like even when I was taking, I took a six week course when I did it. And wow. Yeah. So we went all in, me and my friend Lorena, we went and did a six week course in Houston. We were in the pool for like three to four weeks. Then we went to the lake. Then we went to the ocean. So the fact that you went to the Bahamas, to the pool in the ocean is massive. And then you're afraid of water. <laughs> so keep going. <laughs> so, so yeah, so that, that's kind of, you know, so that was the plan. You know, we, when, when we had moved to San Diego, we went on ahead and got scuba certified and, and I got my open water and I was pretty good staying there while Ed kept working forward towards DM. So master, he was working, he got his, I'd imagine he got advanced like with nautical and night diving. I've done that. And I'd imagine yep. he kept logging his dives to be a dive master. Yeah, he's got everything now. He's he's a certified rescue diver, okay. and he's got, I think, one more class and a few more dives before DM, but he's got, but because now we only dive, like, for us, we're only diving about twice a month or so, so it's not, he's not quite where he needs to be to get a DM. He's still wants to but it's been a little more challenging since we've been here in Orlando yeah it's you're not as close so it's a little bit further and plus it's full time so but that's super cool that's super super cool okay so at that point you've got open water you're in San Diego so yep we're in San Diego so how does Coleman's concierge come go ahead go ahead so yeah so we were just we were like what the heck are we gonna do because we needed this break free plan that we could be able to sustain ourselves traveling being in beautiful locations and we didn't want to tap the 401k and just so happened as we were you know i mean we were that was the one that was standing out but we were toying with you know leading group trips we were toying with all these different ideas and then i randomly heard about travel blogging and i was like what the heck is this travel blogging thing and is it even legit like I'm a girl that literally like I didn't even get a computer till I moved to um till I moved to Arizona to go to the Ritz like I didn't have a computer like for all those years I didn't even have a cell phone till that move well, like I imagine you were skiing you were white water you were roping like nothing in that says you know typing writing nothing no, nothing at all. I'm like the most like computer unsavvy person <laughs> in the God's green earth. And like, I mean, I had Facebook for friends, but that's like it. And so I hear about this blogging thing and it just so happened at that time, the women in travel conference, which is a really big one. They were holding, I believe it was their second conference in Irvine, California. Mm-hmm. And it was going to be going on in about two weeks from when I heard about it. And so I asked Ed if I could cruise up, go to the conference and see what it's all about and see if it's legit. And if that might be, um, you know, an avenue that we could use to move into our, you know, our life 2.0 together. 
And so I went up to the conference and it blew my ever loving mind. I mean, like it was this whole new world that I had no idea even existed. And, you know, meeting person after person, woman after woman that not only were doing this, but they were making actual money. You know, I mean, I met a couple of bloggers that were making six figures and I was just like, holy cow, this what is insane. Was this? What year was this that you went to the conference? Oh my gosh. It was, I want to say it was 2015. Okay. So, uh, so already, obviously I remember like around that time blogging was already off the ground and then social media and influencer marketing was exploding. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, it was going on. It was, it was like 2015, maybe 2016. So yeah, went to that conference. There was a bunch of really good interactive workshop sessions at that conference that unfortunately since then at many, many subsequent concert conferences I haven't seen, which I would love to see more of them bring back. But in those different workshop breakout sessions, I, I was able to figure out, you know, the name of our of our website and what our tagline could be and, you know, all of our different branding ideas and so forth. And I, I brought them home to Ed and he was like, you know, what you know, and Ed already had such a love of writing. He was like, you know, and I was like, if we do this, you have to be the writer because I can't write and I cannot type my way out of a paper bag. And I'm like, you have to do the writing. Wow. I'll do everything else. Wow. But, but I, I can't do that part. So we both just got online and started consuming everything we could find online about how to start a blog, you know, what you need to do, all that stuff. I bought a course that has since defunct and sold out. Um, it was called Travel Blog Success. And now um, Nomadic Matt bought it. And now it's all been like incorporated into a superstar blogging course. Mm -hmm. But at that time, I bought Travel Blog Success. And, you know, basically after we took about a month or two to really research and kind of get things figured out, what we wanted to do. Ed wrote a couple of posts from past trips. And then we took a trip up to a friend's cabin in Durango, Colorado, right after ski season ended during mud season. So there was nothing going on. We sequestered ourselves in that cabin for two weeks, busted it all out and, and launched our website then and there. I love it. I love a couple of things that you talked about. I love that you saw and found something to help you get to the next step, to the next level, to 2.0, like you said. Um, I love that, like, like, you also highlighted this, and I talk about this all the time, like everything that I do or we do is always hands-on, exactly why you're talking about, because so many people, we can listen to theory all day long, but the biggest thing is figuring out how to do it, and then also when you're at an event or you're in an experience, the most powerful thing to help you overcome fears is to take action and or complete things at the actual event. Because you're holding yeah. people captive there. And likely, I've talked to so many people that will, like, I've gone to, I mean, just like you invested so much money into entrepreneurship and different things. And when I go, it's like, this is my intention. This is what I'm walking in with. And either there and or when I leave, this is what I'm walking away with. And this is what I'm getting done within the next week to two weeks. Like, I'm getting my return on investment, period. And I'll ask so many people, like, and this was at my first conference with this one. How many times have you gone to this conference? And they'll tell me and I'm like, and what have you done? And they're like, oh, nothing. I haven't launched a course. I haven't done this. I'm like, 
So why do you keep going to the conference? Like, stay home for the one week, and if they're not doing it here, launch the event. So that was how I started figuring out stuff for, you know, our brand, like asking questions, just like I'm yes. sure you figured out, like, how do you stand out? So you locked yourself in the room. You guys were there at the cabin. You knock out the website. You knock out the blogs. You start figuring out what you're doing. This is still 2015, right? It was 2015, 2016. Our blog officially launched. We hit the three-year mark. So I guess it would have been 2016 because we hit the three-year mark um, like May, June of this year. Okay. So now I know from just talking to you before and looking at your website, you guys have won multiple awards. You've gone on multiple trips and adventures. So like from locking yourself in that cabin to what happened, like what were like you would say like your one to three pivotal points to get you to where you are today? Oh boy. Tell you the thing about blogging that's really tough. There's a couple things that one of them is that, you know, it's a lot of times pretty thankless. I, I came from a profession, you know, when I was teaching skiing, when people almost on the daily would be so appreciative of what I helped them accomplish, you know, teaching them that they could get down this slope or use this technique and even massage, you know, I mean, it wasn't uncommon at least once a week for people to tell me it was the best massage they'd ever had. Could they, could I come home with them to, <laughs> You know, so I, I was used to getting these, like, feedback. you know, almost daily accolades and feedback and add a girls, you know, and go from that to blagging, which is literally so much of the time, excuse my, my, my French, but like pissing in the wind. <laughs> You're just like creating, 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 putting it out there, putting it out there and just hoping for like some little blip of like something to happen. <laughs> so I, love, I love that you started. Let me pause there because I love that you started the, the point with that because it's a long term game. It's delayed gratifications. It's not instant. Like I tell people that all the time, whether it's a blog, whether it's a podcast, unless you already have a huge audience or unless you know you're at a certain point it's going to take some time to build the traction and then like you said you start to get these notes or these letters or these emails like oh my god thank you this content's so helpful but it takes like i i mean i know i didn't start getting those or we didn't start getting those till after like over 50 episodes after over 50 posts Mm -hmm. of consistency and showing up period no matter what in social like you can do micro blogging on instagram or other platforms but a blog or a podcast you often don't see traction and like recognition for a while or brands recognizing yeah. absolutely a long while i mean and that's kind of you know if someone was starting a blog or a website that's the very first thing i tell everyone is just launch it no one's gonna freaking see it or care anyways for at least the first six months to a year yeah. i mean there there is a thing called the google sandbox and it's absolutely real and it's completely legit and so you just gotta launch that baby keep creating content be consistent you know keep keep working be consistent hit your deadlines, even though you're the only one making yourself accountable, because that's, that's how you're going to get out of that sandbox. You know, I think a lot of travel bloggers like to tell the lie of, Oh, I started my 
website for my friends and family and everyone just started coming to it and they liked my content so much. I figured I should just start doing this professionally. And anyone that's in this gig like knows that that is like total BS, you know, I mean, it's a lot of hard work and a lot of promotion for anyone to even find your stuff. And to your point, even once you have an established presence, then it becomes the outreach, the pitching, whether it's for press trips, whether it's for social media, whether it's for influencer marketing groups, whatever it is that your target is or all of the above. It's like we talked about before we started recording. It's a constant seed planting, you know, game. Like you're constantly yeah. outreaching to people that maybe they found you somewhere, but likely they haven't yet. So you're like helping people get to know you and what you can do for them. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, yeah, I mean, you know, we just started trucking along and, you know, I'd say the the very first ever little campaign sponsorship we landed was there was a food truck roundup in San Diego and it was the food truck roundup is kind of a big deal in that like it's a big thing out in Vegas like a lot of like the top food trucks all go to like the big roundup in Vegas so and they were bringing a lot of those same trucks to um, San Diego because it's so close to Vegas and so we landed sponsored VIP tickets for that and got to try all the trucks and meet the guy that started the food truck roundup and stuff and so that was kind of our our very first sponsored post if you will which you know at the time now is really not on brand anymore but we were just happy to land something well you were starting (laughs) it's where you started and that's i think another point that people need to realize you start somewhere and it's key to also remain humble and appreciative Mm -hmm. and grateful because someone's still offering you something that they would otherwise get money for yeah do a great job and then leverage that case study and that piece of content for your next collaboration that you outreach for or the next way you want to create community or whatever it is that sometimes people yep. think you like automatically you're going to get to point, you know, whatever, but that's not the case. So like, what are some of your, so as you guys grew, what are some of your favorite experiences and or what you learned throughout that process to get more stable, to generate more income, et cetera? Oh boy. Well, I feel like we're still really learning. I mean, when I speak with people, I tell them that we're basically like, like toddler bloggers at this point, we know just enough to be dangerous. (laughs) I I equate the business to a baby too. I'm like, Oh, the baby's four now. (laughs) Exactly. You know, I mean, we know enough to be dangerous. We can get around, you know, pretty self-sufficiently. However, we're not completely self-sufficient, you know, as, as any three-year-old is not. (laughs) So thankfully we still have my husband's corporate job and corporate money behind us. But if we do stay on track as we are, we're looking to be completely financially independent of his corporate job and dependent on the website as well as location independent um, within the next three to five years if things go go on track as we're hoping that they will Mm -hmm. so that that's kind of the hope and the goal right now and you know I would say probably we've had a lot of pivotal moments Um, our first big campaign we landed that ended up being pivotal in our life and also 
ironically in my my youngest stepdaughter's life was we landed a campaign for a week in an in a what at the time was a new ayurvedic retreat in sri lanka so and cool i met so, one of the uh the tourism head um his name escapes me right now but at the tbex conference last year he was there for sri lanka nice yeah no, that's awesome because, I mean, to your point, what people don't realize, you know, with blogging, with entrepreneurship, with lifestyle entrepreneurship, whatever it is, you can truly create whatever it is that you want, but it's no different than regular employment in the sense of you have to show up all the time, but the paycheck doesn't show up up front. No. So the mindset up at all. I've been working for years with very with no pay, and and now we're at very little pay. <laughs> and then it's figuring out, like I tell people all the time, it's figuring out how to not only get and stay healthy and clear in your mind, but how to make money and build a brand and monetize. That goes through blogging, sponsorships, creating courses, press trips. You know whether you want to do live events and retreats. It's a business. And if, mm -hmm. if you treat it like a hobby, well, it's going to be a hobby income. But if you want to really get focused and have it build a business, there's a lot of skills that most of us did not grow up with handed to us that you have to learn to get over the hump to stability and to freedom. Absolutely. That's so true. And this has all been, you know, such a learning experience for us. I mean, I mean, I came in with no website building skills, no computer skills, no social, like no skills of any of this, no marketing skills. And it's just been learning. And, and, you know, sometimes I'll look at other bloggers, one of my super good friends and like my, I want to say like my blogging inspiration is this girl named Leah and Leah's freaking amazing. Her blog is called practical wanderlust mm -hmm. and she actually launched her website one week after we launched ours. Mm -hmm. But little did I know at the time, which I know now because we're good friends, that she had two other websites that she had launched and didn't and had ended up failing beforehand. So she had a lot of experience from trial and error in her back pocket when she launched compared to us knowing absolutely like nothing about nothing. And so now, you know, we're both at the same stage. She's, you know, one week behind us but you know we're you know w when we're having a good month we're, we're making five hundred dollars a month when leah's having a leah's pulling in twelve to fourteen thousand dollars a month right now off of her website but it goes <laughs> to exactly what you said but people don't realize you win or you learn and just yeah like i've had a series of experiences you know in strategy and corporate and finance all these things that you've never walked through you've had all these experiences in injuries in uh, spa in skiing and all these things that I've never had but everyone brings different skill sets but it's learning and figuring out how to leverage and share your story your skill sets and then getting to monetization as quickly but as authentically as possible and that's the part that often takes a while and like for me and Rachel Hollis talks about this she's one of my mentors it didn't feel authentic to do Facebook ads. Mm -hmm. it, it was like, no, I want to create a community. I want to create word of mouth. And then if we do Facebook ads for marketing or for features later, we're able to leverage a bigger budget because we have the money, but that's not our sole focus of creating community. 
And that's the same yep. thing that she's done. Like they've done tons with the book, then tons with her blog, the event planning that led to the books that led to the court coaching. Now they're doing, you know, 1.4 million followers on Instagram. Now they're doing Facebook ads, but that's the first time I've ever seen her do Facebook ads in ever. But that mm-hmm. goes to figuring out what your, your way is, your communication, your style. And that's everything from your social media to your website to a webinar, to a blog post. It's figuring out that style that feels like you. Absolutely, absolutely. And again, it's really all about, you know, every single day coming to the table with your A game. I mean, I take every single day, I take at least an hour for personal growth and development, watching a webinar, listening to a course, something of that nature. And then I hammer down to work, you know, and, and, you know, the, the joke around my house is that, you know, self-employment is tough because my boss is a real B-I-T-C-H. I mean, but I, but I am just so passionate about our, our website and brand succeeding that I have no problem waking up, going straight to the computer at 8.30 in the morning. I schedule in my fitness classes to make sure I break away from the computer. But even then, you know, I'm not usually stepping away until 8 or 9 and it's, You know, it's almost just like this, like driving thirst that I have that I just, you know, I want to be successful so badly that I'm just going to keep, you know, investing that time, not only in taking the time to invest in myself and what I need to learn, but also trying to put out the best product I can. And, you know, even when it comes to getting sponsored travel, you know, I mean, my husband was like, if we're not getting turned down at least 10 times a week minimum, then we're not putting in enough effort. So several so, things you said from that, oh my God, that I know so many people will resonate with. Number one, your morning routine. Like the same way you talked about personal development, like years ago, I would go straight to work without a personal routine. That to me, more than anything, your morning routine and your night routine, set your mind up for success and for focus and alignment and passion and vision. Mm -hmm. Then you talked about like the internal drive. It's not intrinsic. It's not driven off of money. It's driven off of passion and purpose and community. Then the money is secondary. And so you show up repeatedly. But then even how you talked about Leah, like I look at all kinds of people, whether it's you know, Rachel Hollis, and I just followed Leah, and like, it looks like she's doing awesome. But to your point, she had all these experiences before. Mm -hmm. I looked at people like her, or like Melissa Griffin in the blogging space, or Jenna Kutcher, or... Oh, yeah, Jenna's amazing. Yeah, like her authenticity, like how she shares about her family, you know, Mr. Sixpack, the baby, Um, Rachel Hollis, like, and even different people in our community, like with Herbalife, I look at like, you know, my mentor, Garen Jones, Celeste Richmond, and I'm sure you've got plenty of people that I look at them as inspirations. Like you're here, I'm here. You were once here. You're helping me see that there's possibility on the other side of all this, just if I keep going and don't quit and keep learning. Like I, you hammered those yeah. points all through that, that you're like, oh, my boss is a be But you have to be like that. You have to be accountable way before the money's rolling in. Yep. Absolutely. Absolutely. And that's the difference with employers or entrepreneurship. Yeah, you can go and get a job 50, 100, 200K, but you have to show up eight to five plus whatever and you get your paycheck. But you do what they tell you to do and or you create initiative around their dream versus now you're building your dream 
it's no different than Steve Jobs started, you know, in Wozniak from a garage, Bill Gates. I mean, so many other people. You, we all start at zero. Yep. So, oh my God, so many different amazing points in this chat. So where do you see Coleman's concierge going as we wrap up? So um, again, we're, we're really hoping to just continue working on increasing the traffic to our website and thus the streams of revenue, um, getting more, you know, we're starting to get more and more sponsored travel and working with more and more brands and destinations, which is amazing. Um, the more we do that, then of course, the more we're going to be building up our portfolio, which will be helpful going forward. And, you know, we're really hoping that, you know, kind of, we have a couple yardsticks sort of measuring us if you will um we've got two cats which are incorporated into our logo they, they make this c for coleman concierge and a big reason why we incorporated them was not only be, i mean they're 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 our fur babies they're a big part of our life cats really represent adventure and travel and doing new things and independence but they're also kind of the yardstick with us because we're not going to abandon our little fur babies to go travel the world. They're both about 12 now. So we're guessing they probably have got another four or five years left in them. So we've got that. We've got um, a goal. We're going to, if we stay on our budget, we'll be financially independent of all consumer debt as of May, 2020. That is amazing. And My goal is 2022 or sooner. I also teach not only with our own content, health, money, business, but also, um, my second time now teaching Dave Ramsey's curriculum, Financial Peace, and his legacy course. Oh, nice. So, oh, my God. I freaking love Dave Ramsey. <laughs> yeah, I love, like, this is my second time teaching his course. And if you buy the most recent one, tell him, if you didn't know, there's a new course called Legacy, which dives even more into, like, after Financial Peace. So I was just listening before I tuned in with you. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, Ed's a huge Dave Ramsey fan, for sure. So, so yeah, we're looking to, you know, once we get the consumer debt paid off, um, you know, ideally, you know, of course, we're going to shoot for the stars for money that we make off Coleman Concierge. But on the low end of things, you know, if we can just be pulling 40 to 60 G a year, that will be enough for, to sustain us to be location independent and only, you know, be working off the website and not have to tap the, the 401k financial reserves that, that I was lucky enough to meet a great husband who was very smart from a very young age and prioritized that, which I know a lot of other people, especially working in this space, don't have that luxury, which I think we're really fortunate that we do. So, you know, we're just looking to continue to build our brand, build our content and get better and better. You know, I mean, every year we go along, we look at the content we put out the year before and we just scratch our heads and think, wow, that, that's kind of a hot dumpster fire. It's well, also the best that we could do during that time. Right. And then you learn and then you have new levels of new levels and new levels of clarity. You know, I love mm -hmm. the future progression. I love that you also talked about how Ed says, if you're not getting 10 rejections a week, then you're not doing something right because it literally is. It's a constant like outreach and seed planting and putting yourselves out there. So I love that. I love those tips. Absolutely. So yeah, you know, we just hope at that point, you know, in the next five years to finally be fully location independent. Our plan is to purchase a ski condo in Whitefish, 
Montana. Um, we're actually going out there and meeting with a realtor during TBEX um, awesome. in September to figure out kind of the feasibility of that and having it be actually a rental property during ski season. And we'll be fine. And at that point, we'll be traveling around the world doing different campaigns. We really want to um, embrace a slow travel model where we can really embed in, um, in a country and a city for, you know, at least two weeks, if not six weeks and work closely with the the um, DMOs and CVBs to really create content both for us and maybe help out um, them or their vendors in also creating content and bringing more tourism in. Um, we'll probably do some stays um, sponsored at hotels and otherwise do the house sitting thing. Mm -hmm. And then um, as with all websites, it's really important to take time during the year to really go back through old content and make sure that you're really re-optimizing all your old content, you're revamping it, you're updating it, and so forth. So we're looking to spend our summers at that ski condo in Whitefish, Montana, kind of, you know, getting it all cleaned up from the previous season's rentals and, you know, taking some time for ourselves, being able to, you know, have hiking right at the doorstep, you know, make sure sure that we're taking care of ourselves and our health because life on the road sometimes that aspect can fall by the wayside and just spend that time you know having a real life having some downtime focusing on that back end um, creation work on the website ed is looking to write at least he's actually started writing one book That's but awesome. we have three books kind of in the brain bang copper that we'd like to get out so you know utilizing that time as well to to write to write the books and so forth and that's kind of the plan is just to spend you know spend most most of the months of the year you know eight to nine months of the year location independent traveling you know slow travel deep embedding in different communities and then spending those summers up in the mountains of whitefish just regrouping re-optimizing getting healthy and getting ready for the next year i love it i love that you talked about several things i love that you talked about re-optimizing and repurposing because there's so many studies out there that it takes the average person today six to eight times to see something before they actually take action. Yes. So, right <laughs> spot on. Um, so, and even if somebody saw it six months ago, they forgot. So repurposing it, new pictures always works. I love that you talked about slow travel. Um, I'm, and we're actually planning to do a full year. And exactly to your point in 2021, exactly to your point, a month to two months per location because yep. I want to have a routine slash I want to feel like I'm living somewhere and yes. I don't want to like, I see how some travel bloggers like they're here three days or they're here a week, then here a week, then here a week. I'm like been there, done that when I was in corporate again, before travel blogging existed, there was a period where I was traveling 80% of the time. It destroys your health. It destroys your sleep. Like all of that for me. Yes, and so it I does. For totally people, I think. To the slow. And I think a lot of people listening will as well. And then to your point, you mentioned also house sitting, which some people can do even if they're not travel blogging, that they can also look into for some people that want to travel and trade. Absolutely. That's another great tip. And then, um, no, I love it. Like so many different things in the works and so many different things that you guys are growing. Anything else you want to add, Jen, or where to find you? 
Well, um, we can be found on many locations, of course. Um, we can always be found at our website, ColemanConcierge.com. We do have two Instagram accounts. We have our main Instagram account that's more landscape and wildlife focused, which is Coleman underscore concierge. And then we also started another Instagram account that's kind of more lifestyle called Concierge Corner. And we actually started that one out of a need when we get some of our sponsored travel hotels or restaurants and so forth would want visibility on our Instagram. But those sort of photos don't go well on our main feed are we found that that are that the people that that follow Coleman concierge do not like that type of content so so we started concierge corner for that reason so that we're able to be able to promote those other things such as restaurants accommodations and activities on on that account um, so you can always find us there and then of course we're on Twitter at Coleman concierge without the E because Twitter didn't have enough space for our E and the same on Pinterest as well. I love <laughs> it. Without the E because Pinterest didn't have enough room for the E as well. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, it depends on the platform, but they often are sometimes don't. No, I love it. I didn't know about your other accounts. So I just followed that one too and just gave you guys a shout out on stories on that one too. Um, Thank you so much awesome. for being here. Is there anything else you want to add in final thoughts? Ooh, well, thank you so much for having me. It's, it's just been so much fun. And, you know, I guess my fi final thought to anyone who's listening is just believe in yourself, believe in your dream and have perseverance. Because at the end of the day, you might not be the best but you're going to have the most perseverance, you know, like there's a Will Smith quote that I'm going to butcher right now, but he says, you know, I might not be the best looking. I might not be the fittest, you know, I might not be the this or that, but if you and me are on a treadmill together, you can bet that I am not stopping until I drop dead. <laughs> yes, I remember that quote. Yes. He says that a lot. Like I, um, no, to basically that he will outwork you and it goes back to the persistence that he won't quit. And I mean, yes. you can see that. No, that's an awesome, awesome quote to close with. I was looking for it, but I'm sure like we could, uh, let's see, educated. Oh my God. That's one of his best ones. Yeah. The other one he says is life is not the amount of breaths you take, but the moments that take your breath away. He has so many great ones, but that is definitely yes. the last one. He's like, I will die before I get <laughs> off the treadmill. Like, like I remember seeing him in an interview. I can't remember who it was. It was Oprah or somebody. He's like, I will die before you outrun me on that treadmill. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. And that's what it's all about. You know, I mean, you know, you see a lot of people out there that have made it and they aren't necessarily the best at whatever they did. They just had the perseverance and the willingness to keep going, keep learning, keep improving. Everyone that I follow, like everyone or anyone, whether they're, you know, starting in the middle range on the high range, like everyone that's passed a certain hump and has tons of followers, tons of fans, tons of gigs. I love following people that tell you the real deal, like Brendan Bouchard, like Shailene Johnson, all these others. They say, this is a culmination of Rachel Hollis, years of showing up when no one knew who I was, like years going yep. to all these events personal development, investing, like years. So I love that you said that. Thank you again so, so much, Jen. So appreciate Thank it. Thank you and for so tuning awesome. in with me on It's a Fit Life Creation Podcast. If you haven't already, 
head on over to our fitlifecreation.com website, follow us on all our social channels, and explore our freebies library. You'll find freebies on health, freebies on wealth, freebies on biz, and all in one. Explore at our experiences, events, influencers. We help the community and influencers get healthy, make money, and build brands. To create a life and a business you love.